want to ask you a question. Today's the first instance in Scripture of anybody forgiving anybody, to include God. God has judged Sodom and Gomorrah, for example. There are no instances of forgiveness. What I really want to ask you is, did the circumstances in Joseph's life allow him to forgive? Let me set the situation up. He's got his brothers in front of him. The dream that he's had is being fulfilled. He is the viceroy of Egypt. He's a married man now with children. Those who had tormented him are laying at his feet. His brothers, the ones that sold him into slavery, they're all laying in front of him. And the question is, is he able to forgive because his circumstances are such that he can now afford to be magnanimous? So here I am. I'm the viceroy of Egypt. They're going to chisel my name into stone. It would really look good in the history books if I were generous and magnanimous and everybody could say, wow, what a good viceroy he was. So I will forgive these miserable wretches laying before me. Have I set that up so it's understandable? And what I will suggest to you is that is not what's going on at all. And when you see that, there's a bunch of stuff you can learn from this vignette. Now, what I'm going to suggest to you is that Joseph is in a position to forgive long before he is elevated to the position of viceroy. And his circumstances actually don't have anything to do with his forgiving his brothers. Some of you may have read a book by Viktor Frankl. He was a Jew and was in one of the concentration camps during the Holocaust. And he survived as others around him perished. And he thought about what is it that was different about the people who died as opposed to the people who survived. And again, I'm not talking about people who were directly killed, uh, that entirely different circumstance. But you had a lot of people in concentration camps, some of them survived and made their way through, others gave up and died. And the thing that he was thinking about is what is the difference between the one group and the other? And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. It's an excellent book, fairly easy to read, it's not difficult or technical, and fairly short, and I recommend it highly. As I remember the book, it's been a while since I've read it. He was standing naked in the winter in front of Nazis who were tormenting him. And what he came to realize is he couldn't control whether he had any clothes on. They'd taken them away from him. He couldn't control whether he was standing there in front of them. They were forcing him to do that. But he could control how he thought about it. And that they were unable to take away from him. No matter how badly they treated they could kill him. But what they couldn't take away from him is his attitude toward his situation. He had absolute control over that. And one of the things that we see in Joseph's story is Joseph gets swept along by events. You know, he goes out to meet his brothers, and they jump him, throw him in a pit, sell him to Egypt, and he's got no control over any of that. He gets sold to Potiphar, and 
does his job and rises up in Potiphar's house and his Potiphar's wife has an eye for him and sets him up and sets him up so that he winds up getting thrown in prison he's got no control over that while he's in prison he again rises to the top and he stays in prison until somebody remembers hey we got this Hebrew guy down in prison who's able to interpret dreams so they reach down and scarf him up and bring him up before Pharaoh and he interprets the dream and you know the rest of the story he doesn't have control over any of those events in his life the fact that somebody remembers that he could do dreams is not something he has you know he doesn't go out there and sit, you know take out a newspaper ad or an internet posting and say I interpret dreams in other words there's nothing he's doing that is causing those events to happen they're all happening to him and his entire life is essentially things happening to him as opposed to things that he is doing himself yet at the end of that he is able to have his brothers before him and he is able to forgive them and I will suggest that the reason he's able to do that is that he was in control of how he viewed the circumstances and at the end of the day in fact it says how he viewed them in Genesis 45 4 which I read this morning I am your brother Joseph he whom you sold into Egypt now do not be distressed or reproach yourselves because you sold me hither it was to save life that God sent me ahead of you it is now two years that there has been famine in the land and there are still five years to come in which there will be no yield from tilling God has sent me ahead of you to ensure your survival on earth and to save your lives in an extraordinary deliverance it was not you who sent me here but God and he has made me a father to Pharaoh lord of all his household and rule over the whole land of Egypt so what Joseph has done is he has looked at his circumstances and instead of focusing on poor me oh, I've just been thrown out of the family oh, I've just been sold into slavery oh, I've just been thrown into the prison oh. instead of focusing on himself what he's done is he's refocused and he has said I am a player in something that God is setting up and that refocusing and focusing not on poor me but focusing on where I am in God's scheme of things allows him to rise above his circumstances I was reading a blog post by a guy's Catholic but he's very very good and he says the choice in this world especially in the West is between Christianity and insanity those are your two choices and what we see in our society right now is literal insanity I mean look what's happening in the government look what's happening in college campuses look what's happening all around us and you've got people who are literally going insane I mean they're running around with these pink knit hats on them that represent female body parts and not realizing that they look like absolute insane fools because they are absolute insane fools and the reason that they have dipped into insanity is because instead of having their focus outside of themselves they are focusing inside their entire focus is me what's happening to me what are you doing to me that I don't like 
What is it about me that you're not respecting? What is it about me that isn't going the way that I want things to go? Everything is self-focused. It's internal. Instead of being focused externally. And because of that, they can't see, or they don't choose to see, that they are, in fact, players in a larger play. And what they're doing with their self-focus, since everything is with reference to themselves instead of with reference to God, this world they've been put in, other people, their responsibilities in society, etc., etc., what they've done is they've descended into literal madness. Now, you all know who G.K. Chesterton was, right? He was a Catholic writer at the turn of the last century. He wrote in the teens, tens, and twenties. Brilliant guy. And he says, the madman is not someone who has lost his reason, but someone who has lost everything except his reason. Now, let me give you an illustration. Before the left in the 60s disbanded them all, there used to be insane asylums, mental hospitals. And what happened was the movie makers made a bunch of movies about how terrible insane asylums were, and everybody thought insane asylums were a really terrible thing, and they got rid of them. And so they flushed all the nuts onto the street. I mean, there's lots of reasons people are homeless, but one of the reasons they're homeless is they're insane. And they really need somebody to take care of them. And there's a story that I heard when I was a very young man that this guy had gone to the garage and had his car repaired. And the garage had not put all the lug nuts back on his car. So he's got three wheels that are in perfect shape, and he's got one wheel with one lug nut. And he's driving along, and things start going thunkety, 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 thunk. And he pulls over outside the gate of an insane asylum. And he's looking at his car, and he's realizing, ha, I've only got one lug nut here. What am I going to do? And a guy inside the asylum looked at him and says, well, what you do is you take one lug nut off of the other three wheels, and you put it on the bad wheel, and each wheel will now be short one lug nut instead of one wheel being short four lug nuts. He says, wow, that's really smart. How come you're in there? That was a really smart idea. And the guy says, just because I'm insane doesn't mean I'm stupid. And that's what Chesterton is saying. Just because you're insane doesn't mean you're stupid. And what Chesterton says, with which I agree, is the thing that they have got left, the insane, is reason. Their reason works perfectly fine. They're just reasoning from the wrong set of principles, which is everything is about me. And I'm the only thing in the world that matters. And from that premise, they reason very correctly. You've got to stop doing that. Because what you're doing is making me uncomfortable. Or I don't like what you're doing, so you've got to stop it. Because it's all about me. One of the things that I've said a long time ago, and it's probably time to resurrect it because it was kind of good. God and Satan are contending for you. God has access to your spirit. Satan doesn't. Both God and Satan have access to your body. So Satan when he's working on you, works from the outside in. What Satan does is orchestrate your circumstances so that he will herd you in the direction that he wants you to go. God, on the other hand, having access to your spirit, will put things inside of you that will enable you to navigate 
the circumstances of your life in a way that's healthy. So Satan has only got access to your circumstances. And what Satan tries to do is orchestrate your circumstances so that he drives you insane. Has anybody ever heard the phrase, you're making me crazy, or you drive me crazy? What you're saying is, my sanity is under your control. That's what that phrase says. My sanity is under your control. And that's what Satan wants, is to have your sanity under his control. And what he'll do is he'll do things like have you sold into slavery and throw you into a pit and surround you with all sorts of other crazy people so that from the outside he can drive you mad. And again, being driven mad is not the same as being stupid. Remember, those are two different things. Being mad and being stupid are two different things. And you have a lot of very intelligent people who are quite literally crazy, but they're not stupid. And so they're able to fulfill jobs in government, jobs in industry. They walk around among us. And they look perfectly normal, except they're crazy. And your job is to recognize, wow, you're crazy. And then perhaps help them to see that there is something inside of them that can be reached by God and can bring them out of this insanity. And they get to the point where Joseph is, because Joseph is not crazy. And his circumstances have not driven him insane. And so he's been able to go through his life, and one of the things that God has done for him is he's given him the sequence of dreams, and Joseph has been able to interpret those dreams to see that even in these circumstances, I am in a player in something that God is setting up. And that keeps him from being crazy. Remember I said the alternative to crazy is Christianity. Or, since Christ hadn't come at that point, God. Your two choices are God and crazy. And Joseph chose God, and he kept his focus, and he kept his perspective, and he understood the meaning of what he was going through, and that kept him from being driven crazy. So when he's then able to stand in front of his brothers who are laying prostrate before him, he is able to maintain his sanity, and he's able to say, ah, we're players in a larger play here, and you meant it for evil. You were not doing well. But God had a bigger plan, and I am therefore able to rise above my petty feelings and my focus on me, 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 what you did to me. I'm able to rise above that, and I am able to forgive you. So Joseph does not go insane in spite of circumstances in his life that would drive most normal people crazy. Now, one more thing, and then I'll quit. Meaning requires intelligence. The meaning of a situation is a function of somebody interpreting it. If you don't have an interpreter, there's no meaning. You know, I drop a ball and it hits the ground. That's physics. Now, if I'm dropping that ball and it's a hand grenade, it's got some meaning to me as I'm standing right here. Right? Meaning depends on an observer. Physics just happens, meaning requires an observer. So there's three observers in this scenario that we're seeing today. The brothers, Joseph, and God. And each one of them derives a different meaning from that situation. The brothers' derivation of meaning is, oh, shoot. You mean 
That little guy that we sold into slavery is now the viceroy of Egypt, and he's standing here and he's got life and death authority over us? Oh, shoot. Or whatever the equivalent is in Hebrew. And they never lose that perspective. Because when Jacob dies, they come back to Joseph and says, Dad's gone, and in their mind, Dad's the one that's been protecting us from your wrath. He's gone now. Oh, shoot. So their perspective is one understanding of the meaning of this situation. Joseph's perspective is different. Joseph's understanding of the meaning of this is, I am a player, as are my brothers, in something that God is orchestrating. He's able to get outside of himself where his brothers are self-focused. His brothers are focused on, oh, shoot, what does this mean to me that I am now face to face with my brother who has life and death authority over me? Me, me. What does this mean to me? That's the brother's focus. Joseph's focus is, this is a vignette in a much larger play that is being orchestrated by God. And of course, that's what enables him to maintain his sanity. From God's perspective, the meaning is, this is yet one more step in the journey to the Messiah. And this particular vignette that is being played out by these people is just one step in what's going to eventually be the coming of the Messiah and the redemption of the world. So you have, if you will, a small r redemption of the world here in Joseph. It redeems Egypt from starvation. That's redemption with a small r. God's thinking of redemption with a capital R. And this is one step in that process. So the meaning of a situation is dependent on the observer. Joseph doesn't see the whole picture. But he does see that he is a player in God's economy. And that preserves his sanity. His brothers don't see that. And all they do is live in fear for the rest of their lives. So, as you're going about the world, recognize that you are, in fact, part of God's economy. You are players in a larger play. And he's got stuff for you to do. And the stuff he's got for you to do varies with individuals. We all don't have the same things to do. But you've got stuff that God wants you to do in his economy. And what the world is going to try and do is get you to focus on you and get you frightened and drive you insane. That's what it's trying to do. That's Satan's part of the problem. So as you go through life, if you keep your focus out of you and onto what God's economy is, then you have a defense against someone driving you crazy. <laughs>